Hello, you're listening to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. If some of our discussions and tips are working for you, why don't you grab a 15-minute call with us at ecommercecall.com. We'll see whether we can help scale your e-commerce business. We will quickly see if we're a fit or whether we can recommend someone else to get you where you need to go. The worst case is you'll have a fun 15-minute chat and regardless, you'll come away understanding a lot more about your business. Book a call at ecommercecall.com. Hello and welcome to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. Ian and I are talking today about the KPIs that we go through in our most popular book. We're going to be going through each KPI one by one. But if you want to know how to actually measure these KPIs, I recently did a live in the Facebook group, and I'm going to put that a link to that in the show notes. So let's get started. Hello, Ian. How are you? Good afternoon, my brother. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I do have a, 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 a group of 10 men. Um, I think there's a few women as well building a substation outside my house. So if you can hear anything in the background, that that will be that Not will be the it. substation that you had a nervous breakdown over. Yeah, that one. That yeah. one? Yeah. But, uh, Have you accepted it? Well, we'll see what it looks like. It's a, to be honest, it's not a substation. It's quite small. But um, it's a it's small a... box on the other side <laughs> of the road to your house. Yeah. Yeah. And when you told me about this about a year ago, you said Ian, I've not slept all night. I sound really, Did not really say worried. that. I thought someone who was seriously ill. And then you told me there was a there was a nuclear power plant being built in your garden inside the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I think you showed me the picture of what it was. I was like, Mark, it's a small grey box on the other side of the road. It's not don't green. worry. God. Yeah, anyway, I don't think people really want to no. hear about Probably electricity not. vectors, installation of electricity meters around no. Auckland. People have, have, have tuned in to hear about our wisdom on e-commerce. Yeah. And uh, the, topic, the topic this week is um, we're going to go and talk about the KPIs, the main KPIs we talk about in the book. And um, if you don't know what book we're talking about, it's Ian and my book, which is available in all good bookstores. Uh, it's the ultimate guide to e-commerce growth, seven unexpected KPIs to scale an e-commerce shop to 10 million plus. So um, we just want to... They're not that to... unexpected now, though, are they? Well, no, no, I've always been banging on about them. Yeah. Like, well, no one expects the unexpected. No. So It's the seven expected normal KPIs. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to have a little bit of poetic license when you're, yeah. when you're, when you're writing a book. I am a copywriter, after all, so... Um, I mean, if like uh, it would be a bit biff, it's like seven, like like really boring KPIs to get enough. Yeah, that you already to... know, but you're ignoring because <laughs> you think there's some of the magic ones that you can wave. Ian, this is game changing stuff, <laughs> as you say in your presentations. As you say in your presentations. Yeah, it is game changer. Game changer. Okay. Yeah. So we thought we'd go through the KPIs as a recap because I was actually listening to some of the older podcasts and you always sound like you're in a hole uh, and I always sound like I'm really loud. So um, some of those podcasts aren't, aren't, aren't as good recording. So I'm going to go through... Content, content, Mark. Good yeah. content, not quality. Exactly. So the, the, 
the, the KPIs and what they mean, how to measure them, and just a little bit of a chat through them. So um, the first one, I mean, I'll go through the order in the book. Um, and the, the first one is obviously the add to basket rate. So do you want to just introduce yeah. that? Well, yeah, the, the, the add to basket rate is because um, we took, we, everybody used to talk about conversion rate, conversion rate, conversion rate, conversion rate. And whenever we used to talk about conversion rate, we would, we would be like, you know, if someone says to you, oh, you need to get your conversion rate up, you know, on your website. And it's like, yes, I know. But it's like saying, be more successful, just sell more stuff. It's completely yeah. useless. And so you have to break the conversion rate down into, you know, the basic components. And, you know, if you were in a physical shop, you know, if you had a physical shop and your website was a physical store, you know, it would be how many people came in and went over to the aisle that was selling the thing that they wanted and picked the product up and put it in their basket. And that will be the first step to getting the transaction. Mm. So, you know, the, 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 the first thing is the answer basket, right? How many people come to your site? And actually click that button that says add to basket. Yeah. And that is the first telltale because you you know you gotta know if it, if the average site converts at I don't know, five percent, you know, you've got ninety five percent of people that are leaving. So where do they leave? And so the first thing is the add to basket. And if the add to basket stat is low, so we, we often the benchmark we we always gave was eleven percent. So 11% of people on a typical e-commerce site would add to basket. And it's not always the case. It's, it, varying, it varies on average order value and lifetime customer value. But the average add to basket is 11%. And we like that because it was a very easy stat to, to talk about and for everyone to go and have a look. And, and often I think the, a lot of work still is, a, is in that stat. Because you get you get quite a big bang for your buck. Because if you can increase the add to basket stat, you know you're going to get a lot more people, obviously in the basket, and a lot more people from the basket then to go into your checkout. So, and if the add to basket stat is low, so the benchmark is eleven percent. If you find that yours is five percent, then it allows you to go further into it and say, well, why why, why are they not adding to basket? And it's and then you look at the bounce rate and the exit percentage. So you're looking mm -hmm. at really well, where they bounce. Where does the traffic come onto the website and where does it bounce? And then you break it down. So if the add to basket is low, you would look at the bounce rate and you'd look at, well, the home page bounce should be less than 25%. If the category page bounce will be less than 50 and the product page bounce will be less than 60. And that means the overall bounce should be less than 40%. So the bounce is where, the reason we look at the bounce is because it's the first place people land on the website. So if you had a store, people came in and said, I want, have you got, do you sell torches, mate? And you go, yeah, the torches are over there. And they just walked out. People like, well, well, that's a bounce. So they didn't even go and have a look. You know, they just, they just, you know, glanced at the, glanced at the product and then walked out. You, you know, you'd be a bit freaked out by it. Yeah. I mean, so if that's you, why the, the add to basket is key. If you break it down, and we've done a podcast on add to basket, there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole session on it, but I, I just, just thought that I talk about an analogy. If you had a clothing shop and you were just getting started, you know, the first thing you'd want to count is how many people are coming in the store. 
that would be the first thing because you'd be like, well, no one's coming in the store. If no one's coming in the store, you know nothing. Else. So you, first of all, you've got to get people coming into the store. So you'd probably try different yeah. window, um, you know, shop window things. You'd try different signage. You'd try opening the doors. You maybe put some plants outside. You know, you'd make it more inviting. And obviously the location is going to be super important. So getting people into the store would be the first thing. And that's very much like, you know, how do we get some traffic? Next thing you might want to, you know, if you've got a clothing shop, is how many people try something on? So that's kind of like your add to basket. How many people take something and go, at go, go and try it on? So there mm. you go, right, well, people aren't trying stuff on. So have we got enough um, change rooms? Are we making it easy for people to try on? Are we encouraging people to try things on? Is it easy to do? You know, th that kind of feel. You know, what, what are the staff doing? And so therefore, then you're getting things trying on. And then you go, right, well, people, a lot of people are trying on, but no one's buying anything at the moment. So you go, well, okay, what's what's wrong with that? Is it the, the security? Do they, do they want to return it? Or what are the, the pricing wrong? Or is it the quality of the material? Or is it the product? You know, you move forward from, first of all, nobody coming in the shop to breaking it down into those steps to kind of go, well, mm. you know, and, and let's say I was working on physical clothes shops all the time. I would then have a benchmark for, well, um, you know, out of the fact people come in, you should be expecting this many people to try something on. And then you go, okay, yeah. we're only getting 20% of people to try something on. Then the, the average is 40%. I don't know what it is for physical clothes shop. Um, you've got an, a gap there of 20% uh, of people who aren't trying something on for whatever reason. So that would be the first thing to try yeah. if you get more people to try no, on. The, yeah. And that's the, yeah. that's the, average. you know, and I think the other way of thinking about it is, you know, we're all, we all, Look at the checkout, for example. You might have a, you know, a four pay, a four step checkout. You know, step one, put your email address, and step two, put your delivery address, and step three, choose your delivery. You know, step four, put your payment in, and you know that's a one, two, three, four step process from left to right, and this is just an extension of that. Mm. You know, how many people got to your product pages? How many people added to basket? How many people went from basket to checkout? How many people went from checkout to order? And you, so you're just trying to get you know, from left to right. Yeah. And that's why we break it, it down because it it's down. so obvious. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, don't forget, you know, these, these, you know, these numbers in your Google Analytics, you know, these sessions, it's people. Yeah. It's people walking into a, a shop and looking around at the different products and the different categories and the different aisles. And then and picking things up and touching them and feeling them and then and oh no that's not quite right and naturally flowing around your store yeah like it's human beings so it's not a stat it's not a session it's not a number it's human people to so get get yourself into the emotional state of mm. that shopper it's also breaking it down into solvable problems one at a time so that you know like rather than if you've got a flow shop that that's not selling people aren't you know coming in and buying stuff from. It's very difficult to kind of fix all your problems at once. But if you actually just say, right, let's just focus this week on getting more people in the shop, then, then your problem moves slightly further down the river and you kind of go, okay, they're in the shop now. How do we get them to try stuff on? And then you try, mm. you know, it becomes a sequential um, movement of, of optimization. Very similar with... And it's, yeah, with, it does. With, and it's really, it's really hard to get your conversion rate up unless you break it down you know into those component parts yeah because then you don't know if you're strong you don't know where you're weak you know and it, 
and I think if you just focus on those on those you know those component parts, it gives you something to focus on. Yeah, you know, and it's, it becomes really obvious. You think, oh my god, our ads basket's three percent. Bloody hell! Right, yeah. that's well, what we've got to get. Why is that? And you go, well, our landing, our main landing page, the bounce rate's ninety percent. So that's obviously yeah. wrong. We're either getting the wrong traffic traffic there, or we're getting the right traffic, but we're just not telling the right message. Or it's a or it's a complete dead end page. There's no one else for them to go, mm. so they go back into Google. So it just gives you yeah. something to focus on. So I don't because there's no bounce rate in our in our KPI. But bounce rate is like really important. But you look at bounce rate. If your ad to yeah. basket's low, well, we talk about that. If your ad to basket's fine. In the ad to basket, is we talk about bounce rate because as yeah. soon as it's low, okay. you then would look at bounce rate, and that yeah. would be the first thing. Because really, if they don't add something to the basket, that's a bounce because they're not done anything on the site, they're not interacted. Really, a lot of time they're landing and, on the know, product and, page, and that's that's it. Isn't yeah, it? and it's this is an e-commerce website, right? So we're not interested in you know filling in a form or you know, downloading a PDF brochure. We want to sell stuff. Yeah. I mean, even so watching a video. if they don't add to basket. We're not bothered. Yeah. No. If they don't add to basket, you know, they've bounced. They've gone. Yeah. You know, and that's not what we want. So the next so KPI, next KPI is website speed and capacity. And um, I know you don't like this one, although, I mean... Well, I'll tell you why I don't like. I tell yeah. you why I don't like it, because I think it is the sort of voodoo nonsense that you hear other e-commerce people talk about all the time. And I, and I, I'll tell you, okay, it, it is it is important, right? But it's not important if your value proposition, your competitive offering architecture. Your pricing isn't right. Your delivery isn't right. You haven't got any trust and credibility. You've got you know you've got no offer architecture in place. You've got no desirability, no convincibility. You know your your, your website's a mess. You haven't got email sorted out. You've got lifetime customer value. You don't even know what it is. You've got no like that is the stuff that fundamentally drives sales. It's only when you've got all that nailed should you then go and look at speed and capacity. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, when would you look at speed and capacity? Like, because the reason why I think it's voodoo, so, you know, if you had the worst website in the world in terms of terrible conversion rate, no... You know, no stock declaration, no, no all the, all the basics were wrong, but it was really, really fast compared to a website that was a little bit slow, but had the offer architecture dialed in. It had it had it nailed the anxieties. It had loads of trust and credibility. You know, the navigation was perfect. You know, it had great offer architecture, but it was a bit slow. It would dominate the website that was really quick you know and the and the return on investment the r the roas would be great it's of course you know obviously having a, a quick website isn't going to make any difference if you're you have nothing in place you know if you don't have the fundamentals right yeah if you've got the three-legged so that's stool, why i find it if you got yeah you're three-legged stool you you desirability convincibility trust and credibility and offer architecture they're the three things that matter more than anything. Yeah, if you get those right, so, people will fight to buy from you. 
And I, I, I do yeah, agree. I just find it a bit voodoo. Make the website faster and magically you're going to sell more. It's, it's, just, it's just complete bullshit. It does. People do lose themselves in that. Like, I think it's because a lot of people, some, well, some people who are in e-commerce sites are quite kind of analytical and it, it's something tangible for them to kind of go and go off and work on and get obsessed with. And they'll lose themselves in page speed for a long, long time because it's kind of like, you know, there's, there's an end in, you know, it's like there's a score and there's an end and it's kind of, you can see well, the changes. It's like a magic, it's like yeah. there's no magic ones yeah. here. You know, there's no, you know, obviously if you've got everything nailed and you've got two websites that are identical, one is fast and one is slow. Yes, of course. Google's going to rank it better and the customer's going to like it and the average order value is going to go up. But I think you, you definitely can. I had a conversation today with a client that was saying that, you know, they, they wanted to get the website faster because I thought that was going to be a real clear way of growing revenue. And I was like, you're going to spend six months mm. chasing your tail, wasting your time to realize that it isn't actually going to improve conversion rate. Yeah. But Well, if you think about you know, it like a physical store, a dress store, you're effectively saying, how do we get people to be able to walk around the store more quickly? And, you know, like the, the obviously the queue time, people queuing in the, in, in the checkout and on those kind of things and keeping the, the, the aisles wider and all that kind of stuff. But it's not going to fundamentally change whether people actually want to buy the clothing no. and all that kind of stuff. Do you know when it's a problem, and I think we said this on one of the podcasts, it, it, it speed becomes a problem if it's too slow. I know that sounds obvious, but if it's like more than six, seven seconds in Google Analytics, then it's like, oh. Yeah. But if you're like five, five and a half compared to a site that's, so a site that's loading under three seconds in Google Analytics is really quick. Yeah. But a site that's loading, you know, five, five and a half is, you know, probably on the slow side, but is it going to move the needle that much for your business if you get that to under three? Well, probably not. Let me tell you about why. But if it's loading at like eight seconds. Yeah, why I put it in there. Then you've got a problem. I put it in there. Because um, if your website is over seven seconds, and there's pe been people who've rocked up, up to the 20K core program and had those slow loading times, it is going to affect your conversion rate. And when you're embryonic and you're trying to get those first few sales, like there's no point like having a, a website that loads for eight seconds because it's just going to hurt you. It's really going to hurt like the perception of it. So I like to see something in Google Analytics under four, but I'm not that fussed about Google's page insights and all that kind of stuff a lot of the time, just because I've never seen that much correlation with it in terms of SEO and all that kind of stuff. The mm. other one was, you know, traditionally we have, we've been in this e-commerce for 15 years when there wasn't a hosted e-commerce and we had to host it. So it would be like WooCommerce, uh, VirtuCart, VirtuCart from Joomla or, uh, or Magento. And X -cart, X cart and all the ones we used to use. And, you know, like the capacity of the server was a, was a big deal. And, you know, you, you, you'd only have to send out a big email to take down the site, site sometimes. Cart. And so therefore, you know, and then Black Friday would happen and the site would turn over. So it was more about doing load testing on those sites and understanding at what point will my site fall over and be unusable? Because, 
that used to happen all the time. That's less of a thing yeah. now you're on Shopify. But there are a lot of people on WooCommerce, are a lot of people still on, on Magento, who, you know. And the te- well, the technology of, even, you know, Magento, WooCommerce, the servers have got a lot better. Yeah. You know, the scaling and the, you know, the, the you know, cloud auto, service. Yeah. Auto scaling. Yeah. And so it has a lot, yeah. It's got better. I, I think it's, I think, I just think, like, a, I think there's just so many other more basic fundamental things that you've got to get right. They're going to make a bigger difference. Yeah. And I don't want people to think that it's a shortcut yeah. to being successful because it, it, it won't be. Yeah. It's a pretty short yeah, chapter in the enough, book, but it's got, like, it's basically, yeah, it's, it's a it, check. It's, like you, it's a check that I wanted people to make sure. I was like, look, just yeah. check that you're, you're not, you know, you're not going for running, dragging a ball and chain with you behind yourself. Mm. So, um, that's fine. The next one is lifetime customer value. So big one. Yeah, I mean, massive. It's one. massive lifetime customer value because it's really going to affect. I mean, it's 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 that thing, isn't it? How much does a customer cost for you to recruit, and how yeah. much do how much profit do you get out of the customer in the loss in the in their lifetime? In the lifetime. Yeah. Well, that's e-commerce. Yeah. How much does it cost to recruit a customer and how much they're worth to us over a lifetime? That's what we've said. And, you know, li- lifetime customer value, it is the biggest game changer in e-commerce because, you know, you can pay to recruit a customer once through your paid channels. But if they come back and buy for a second time, you've already paid for that, that cost per acquisition. So, you know, it's obviously much, much more profitable to get an existing customer to buy a second, third, fourth, fifth time. Yeah. And the reason why it's a game changer is not just from a profitability perspective, but you know, unless in some businesses, unless you sort out your lifetime customer value and I, I increase it, you're gonna hit glass ceilings where you just can't recruit any new customers profitably. Like you'll you'll get stuck yeah. at like five million or something like that. Because you go, well, you know, our ROAS is like as low as it can be. You know, we're really efficient. You know, we've got our website optimized. You know, we just can't take the ROAS any lower because if we do, we're just going to just roading our profit margin. It's just, it's just becoming really, really uncomfortable. Mm. So the only way you can get past that point is to increase your lifetime customer value or your average order value, but, you know, you, you, if you've optimized everything as much as you can, yeah. you know, your lifetime customer value, if you can double the lifetime customer value, it means that all of a sudden that same paid advertising traffic now becomes much more profitable because that customer that was only buying once a year is now buying twice a year. So it's, it, it is massively important. Well, let me tell a story. Let me tell a story about someone, you know, we, we've partnered with for a very long time. You'll know who they are as I talk about it. And for eight years, I was been running the Google Ads, and I was told to target a ROAS of about four and a half to five. Most of the time, it was five. For eight years, we spent about I don't know eight thousand pounds a month on Google Ads, and then um, you know that's where it was. That's what we were doing. It's catalog business, so they, you know they're relying on catalogs. You know, Google Ads wasn't really thought of that much. It wasn't. You know, it was kind of like eight grand. Yep, it was fine. And then we spent a year working on the lifetime value of the of the business. And I think we got it from about two to two point four, two point five, something like that. 
Mm-hmm. And that then allowed us to target overall for the recruitment of a 3.5 ROAS, which um, is, was, was a lot lower than five, um, but still make more profit overall because that lifetime customer value increased. That then allowed me now, I'm spending around 150,000 pounds a month on Google Ads, and that business has just exploded. Mm. So it allowed you to scale the advertising yeah. budgets profitably. And that, because we've, we've, we really increased the lifetime customer value. And you know, the other thing that we did as well, which is slightly off topic, but we took, we took, we changed recruitment budget because they were spending lots of money on brochures to recruit new customers. Yeah. And they realized that it was not as effective to recruit new customers via brochures that as, uh, as putting it into Google. Yeah. And they still, you know, they sent the brochures to the existing customers, you know, didn't they? Yeah. And that carried on, but they basically shifted. And that obviously meant that they were more profitable. Yeah. So you could take the rowers lower, but mainly it was lifetime customer value. Lifetime customer value. Yeah. And, and, and what you people don't realize about ROAS is that, um, it's, it's logarithmic. So in that, if, if the amount of people who can go and get, let's say you're in a market and it's 500 ROAS and everybody's going for 500 ROAS, Google might be able to give 10% of the market to those. But if everybody's at five and you're at four, you'll get 90% because out of the auctions they have 90% of them, they can only deliver 400% ROAS, but it can, you know, because they don't know for certain whether that person's going to buy as much as the people at five ROAS. And so therefore you will take all winner takes all. It is like one of those like thin edges where you can just go for slightly lower rows than everybody else because you've got slightly higher lifetime customer value or making slightly more profit than everybody else. And you will take the market. And I see this over and over again. And that's the difficulty for people to see is how close Mm. they are to being that, you know, like if they actually knew that that other competitor is ahead of them by four meters. Well, it's like the hidden competitive edge isn't it yeah. you know you can look at someone else's and other competitors ads in google shopping and think how are they there mm. in position one and two and three all the time every time i check they're there how are they affording us i know that their margins are pretty much the same as ours and they're selling it for pretty much the same price yeah what you don't might not know is they might have a really kick-ass lifetime customer value strategy yeah and maybe a decent average order value upsell strategy, which means they're bidding for a much bigger share of the wallet than you are. Yeah. Because they've gotten, the, you know, the buy the lifetime customer value is better. Yeah. It's invisible. It's it's you invisible, and that's why it's it's such a great moat to have in a business because no one knows what your lifetime customer value is. No one can tell what it is, and so therefore you can kind of you can dominate the market, and people just like, how are they doing that? And it's like, well, you know, yeah. we've got, we found out a way to get. 45% more out of a customer than you can. So that's what it is. Um, next yeah. KPI. Light customer value. Yeah. We've done lots of podcasts around it. Yeah. Main channels are email. Yeah. Most important thing is getting the second sale. Yeah. And then it takes care of itself. Cool. The next one is yeah. growth of six month customer recruitment year on year. So that's quite a mouthful, yeah. that one. 
It's quite a mouthful, that one. It is a mouthful. It's, some, and it's not something that you hear a lot of. No, and it, it was something I developed because, you know, each year you would ask me to do the forecasting for a very large e-commerce site, which will remain nameless, which was doing millions. And I would have to plan out every year for probably for eight years, maybe even longer, how much marketing budget we were going to spend on every single little piece, how much return we were going to get and how much, um, yeah, basically how much revenue were we going to get out of each channel. And that's quite hard sometimes. And obviously the, the, when you're in e-commerce, you need to buy stock within, you know, within takes sometimes take five months for it to come. And so this was the KPI that really helped me do that forecasting because what I wanted to know was like when I was going into the year was like how many customers had I recruited in the past six months at this point last year compared to this year to give me an idea of whether I'm coming into the year with a tailwind or a headwind, particularly mm. around Black Friday times, you know, uh, mid-season sales, all those kind of things. I wanted to know how well I was doing. And if I if I'd kind of go, well, I look back and I'm going, well, in the last six months, at this point, I like let's say this year, I, last six months, I've recruited 2,000 customers, whereas the year before at this time, I'd only re recruited 1,000 customers. That's going to mean something moving forward. So when I do my email offers and I do my you know, um, Black Friday offers and all my mid-season sales, I'm going to have a lot more people to go at because I've got those new customers. Mm. And it's always recent customers that tend to buy more than people who've been on your list for two, three years. It's it's just the way it works. Yeah, well, it's like new, it's sort of new, I mean, I'm trying to find a better word, but new blood yeah. into the business, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's, you know, and if you look back at the, at the years that were difficult for some e-commerce businesses and, you know, they weren't quite as profitable, it's because they'd, they hadn't recruited as many customers in the previous period. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're like milking, milking the herd as much as you can but they won't give you any more yeah. milk you have to get some new it was a new very good way of spotting storms on the horizon so i could yeah. very quickly say to you oh look ian we our customer recruitment over the past couple of months has dipped we need to do something about that otherwise we're going to have a bad last yeah. quarter and you know you and you don't see this in your stats nothing google in google analytics, analytics. Google analytics doesn't no. know you know, it just looks at overall conversion you, rate. So you might, oh, great, our conversion rate's brilliant. You know, five. Sometimes we were fantastic. doing really well. But it's existing. We were doing really well, but it yeah. was, yeah, it was existing customers who were buying, over buying. Masking. Was masking the, the fact that we weren't yeah. recruiting new people. So this one, that's where that one came from. And the next one is average order value robustness. And I, <laughs> I remember when you were Massive. on uh, Chloe Thomas's podcast and she asked you, she says, oh, average order value. Why the word robustness? And obviously, I hadn't told you why I put the word robustness. So you did a political answer. You added it in at the end. And you, you danced around it. So it was a good dance. It was. No one noticed, no one noticed. apart from yeah. you. Yeah, I was listening to it. Um, yeah. And just, just so you know why, it, why it's robustness. The, I mean, as you know, basically, as you want to increase your add-to-basket rate and everything else, you want to make sure that your, your average order value is going up. Let's say your add to basket rate goes up by 20% and your, your basket to order stays the same, but your average order value goes down by 20%, you're in exactly the same place. You don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul, basically, so that 
as you're scaling, as you're optimizing, you want the average order value to go up. And even if you've got a, um, an offer architecture, the offer architecture, which people think, oh, I'm just discounting. I'm just going to be giving away average order value. That's not how it works. The offer architecture should actually be getting the average order value up. It often does. By giving people a good offer, people tend to buy more. So, mm. well, the more, yeah, because they, the bigger yeah. the the bigger the offer, the more they save. Yeah, and like you might find you have thresholds. Like the customer that you're talking to tomorrow, Ian, like they've got a threshold. Um, they've got two big uh, buying uh, average order value spots. I think it's between like a hundred and hundred and fifty pounds, and then they've got a big gap, and that's why lots of people are doing it between hundred and fifty pounds, and they've got a big gap, and then. Uh, there's another uh, a bunch of people who buy between 200 and 250 pounds. So you can see those two average yeah. order value kind of silos in the business. So therefore, you want to incentivize people to buy at those levels or slightly higher than those levels. Whereas if you just looked at the average order value as a whole, you might think, oh, the average order value is 200 maybe 180 pounds, which is actually between the two silos. And no one actually buys 180 pounds. People either buy between 100 and 150 or people buy between 200 and 250 because that's how people buy. So if you just looked at your average order value and started doing incentive, incentives to kind of get people just over 180, you'd probably actually do nothing. So effectively, the, yeah. as the average order value robustness is because we want the average order value to come up as we scale the other other things. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what though, just talking about average order value, in the context of how I spoke about it before, in, you know, massively simplifying what you just said, you know, if you've got a business that's got an average order value of 30 pounds versus a business that's got an average order value of 100 pounds and you've got the same margin of 50%, Obviously, it's going to be a lot easier to grow the business that's got an average order value of 100. You know, if the conversion rate is the same and the return on spent is the same, it's much easier to go for a business that's got higher average order yeah. value. You know, because, you know, and I remember, you know, a bit like the conversation about lifetime customer value. Um, you know, if you've got a lifetime customer value of the only buy once ever, you know, there's a mat, there's a glass ceiling. At some point, you're going to hit that glass ceiling. It's the same thing with your average order value. If your average order value is too low, it, it just becomes too inefficient and it's too expensive to to grow. Mm. And you know, and and I think the two ways to get your average order value up is either more expensive products or more items per order. That's it. Yeah. You know, so your whole average order value strategy is literally can I get them to add more products to the order or a more expensive version of that product? And I think there are loads of average order value methods on the site, which we've talked about. And I've done workshops, you know, on numbers and, you know, dozens and dozens of times about how to get the average order value up. And, but, but I think the truth of it is with the website, you know, bundling and, you know, three for twos and upselling and spend this to get free gifts and, and, you know, free delivery thresholds and all those kind of things. I think, I think fundamentally the website techniques, I reckon, I used to say 10% was up for grabs, mm. but I think it's probably a bit more. I think you probably 10 to 10 to 20% can be, can be average order value increases. And 
with those. But but I think the real game of Ravage Order by has to be the product itself. Yeah. You know, you've had, you know, I mean, some, I mean, I remember one you know, famous example that we talked about previously was a, was a big homeware brand that everyone will, everybody will know. And their average order value was 35 pounds, you know, and they were stuck at 5 million. This was a long time ago. And we just said, look, you know, you forget it. You know, you, you're stuck, you know, unless you change your average order value, you're going to, you're going to be stuck at 5 million. And we said, you're going to have to bring us some more expensive products. And they did. And the average order value went up to £85. I and mean, now it's on like, you know, £285. And then now, you know, they're doing £30 million. Mm. You know, this was about six years, seven years later. You know, and it was fundamental. Average order value shift was a big, big part of that growth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think that's the big takeaway around average order value and KPR. It's, yeah, you know, not necessarily, the, you know, the gap. I mean, you know, what you said, right, but in terms of breaking it down, there's one message around average order value. It's, it's what is yeah. your average order value and how does it change? If you change the average order value, what effect is that going to have? Well, I think it brings us on to the next one, which is traffic growth. And, and you know, we always say with traffic growth is, you know, you increase your traffic until the wheels fall off or one of the wheels fall off and you work out what that wheel is. So they got to five million, and the wheel fell off. Yeah, because they can't. The average order value was too low to go any higher, and then they then they started adding yeah. those other products, those other categories. So what you what we're saying is you you increase the traffic until it's not profitable for you to do so, yeah. and then you stop and you fix it. Yeah, and you have to fix one of three things either conversion rate average order value or lifetime customer value it's that simple yeah. so you know you then let's say you, you fix your average or you get your average order value up a little bit that means for the same amount of traffic you've got a better return which means you can continue pulling that traffic lever a bit harder yeah. and then you get stuck again and you and you no longer can you know you can't you can't recruit any more customers profitably because you can't pull the traffic lever harder. So then you go and look at conversion rate, mm. and that means that for the same amount of traffic, you've got your conversion rate up, means you've got a better return, which means you can pull the traffic lever harder again. And then you go again, yeah. and like that's e-commerce. That's yeah. it. You're just trying to continue to pull the traffic lever harder, whilst being profitable. Yeah. And that's why average order value and lifetime customer value are, ma and obviously conversion rate, are just massively critical. But it's, if you, it, it's that straightforward. And that's basically the philosophy of everything we've ever said. Yeah. And the other thing we were talking about beforehand is that people think about Facebook advertising, Google advertising, like it's this thing that Google's sitting there and Facebook is sitting there and they're setting the, the auction cost. They're setting the price of the the advertising it's just not how it happens like google ads google shopping specifically people are looking for sheets like bedding sheets or pink sheets or something like that and they are selling that advertising space to as an auction and so it's going to get bid up to whoever can get the most profit out of the customer because that's how it works you know whoever can you know that's how auctions work mm. whoever wants it the most and businesses will only buy it most of the time if they're profitable. You are, you'll have had over the past few years a lot of VC funding coming in and funding 
some e-commerce at unprofitable rates. But that that that'll yeah. that'll stop. I mean, basically, those auctions will be dictated to by who's making the most profit out of the customer. And so, therefore, if you can't scale your Google Ads traffic higher, and you can see that you're only getting 44% of the impression share or something like that, it means that someone else is able to go and buy that traffic more expensively and still get more, more profit out of it than you. And so you have to find out who that is and why they can do that, because that is the next step to your growth. Because effectively, this, Google doesn't just randomly pick an unprofitable uh, ad cost. It's, it's dictated to by the market, by what the market is willing yeah. to pay. And, you know, thinking about what we were talking about last week, you know, after the podcast, we, we were saying, you know, there's like three doors in front of an e-commerce business. Yeah, that sounds cryptic. You know, one door. <laughs> yeah. Turn to page 72 <laughs> to go down. the But the three doors is typically you either go down the branding route where you're really investing in the brand and you're really sponsoring loads of influencers and loads of events. The other door is is an innovative, unique problem-solving product that only you solve. That's like Apple. So Apple have loads of innovation, and obviously a great brand. And the third door is is your is your offer architecture one, where you're you're being really keen with it. But so most businesses now are doing a bit of both. Mm. You know, they're doing a bit of brand, a bit of problems, a bit of unique problem-solving, and a, and a and a bit of an offer architecture. But once you go through those doors. Then you've got the three-legged stool, and that's convincibility, desirability to buy the product, mm. you know, trust and credibility about how you're going to solve that problem. Do they believe you? And then, and then the reason to buy today, this week, this month. Yeah. And that's they're the things you got to you got to get right. But I, th- I think generally the, the biggest takeaway is that you will scale this business, your e-commerce business, if you can do one thing. Yeah. And that is if you can continually pull the traffic lever profitably. And that is as simple as it gets. And it, it, I think the, the difference, the only difference between someone who goes, who can go large quickly and not quickly is when you find something that works is moving fast. So like, for example, on Facebook ads, I got Facebook ads working. I was doing, I was spending about $5,000 a month to test. When I got it work, working, I went for $30,000. And then the next month, I went to $100,000. And the next month, I went to $200,000. And I went quickly because it worked. And I basically, once you got the maths working, you can scale. Mm. And you, so, don't, so if you're don't, sitting on that don't, situation, don't fix your budget. Don't think. Yeah. That oh I am I am a five thousand dollar a month budget, uh, business. If you find that the stars are aligning, that could be your chance. That is your chance to grow, and that's when you scale. That's what you've been trying to do. You see how far that market can take you, and you 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 scale it because effectively, if you're sitting in a place where you can't scale your ads, you're trying to do that big scale. And so once you actually do it, take the opportunity, and go for it. Because that's what everybody's yeah, trying to do. 100%. 100%. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's, there's some really, really successful businesses out there now. Yeah. You know, even, you know now launching in a, you know, probably a 
you know, slightly more difficult moment, but there's fantastic growth. Loads of growth, loads of growth, because people are, every time anything happens in the market where people kind of want to tighten the purse strings a little bit, people are looking around for an alternative. They go, well, I've been buying from this, but they are a little bit expensive. Yeah. They, change, they change suppliers. You know, I'm going to go yeah. and have a look around. Even if I don't find something, I might go back. But now they're actually looking. And therefore, yeah. everything can be disrupted. And, you know, when we're lean and mean and in small e-commerce with, you know, with low cost, we can, come and, we can come attack some of those big guys who have got fat. Yeah. You've got to steal market share. Yeah. You know, that's the thing with e-commerce now. You, you, you know, you've got, to, you've got to stop somebody buying. From Some of those bigger commerce sites who got fat over COVID and take on, you know, full-time SEO staff and copywriting staff and content staff and someone to do that and all that kind of stuff. And they're going to be, they're going to be the ones that are going to be disrupted now. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people who listen to this have got huge stores doing millions and millions, but I know there's a lot of people who are starting out. But this is the time. This is the time to have a go. Yeah, but even, you know, I think even any, anyone who's doing up to, you know, 30 million, you're, you're, in, you're, a, you're, in, you're a disruptor. Yeah. You know, you're in startup mode. Yeah. You know, you've got to stop, you've got to, you, 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 and you can be a disruptor. And that's what you've got to think about. You've got to think, how can I stop them buying from other people and buying from me? Yeah. You know, what can I do? How can I really get them to buy from yeah. me? Yeah. Yeah. And for those people who have been listening at the gym, you deserve a sauna. Go and have your sauna and enjoy it. They're probably in the sauna. I don't know sauna. if you can take us into the sauna because we might melt the phone. <laughs> it's probably the best thing. <laughs> Just like... Probably yeah. the best. Um, yeah. yeah. So those are our KPIs. And that's just our review of our KPIs. Um, I realized that we haven't shown you how to find any of those KPIs, which I said at the beginning, but I do have a live on Facebook, which I did with exactly that yesterday. So I'll put that in the show notes. And um, if you want to see it, just click on the link and it'll take you to that post on the Facebook group. And you'll see me in a very empty room talking about uh, the KPIs. Someone, someone offered to furnish my room Excellent. for me. So can I furnish your room? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I was like, no, because we use this for yoga and meditation at the weekend and people come in and, uh, and also my house is so full of crap. When I built this garden studio, the last thing I wanted was anything in it. I just want to keep it clean, get empty, space. So that's all good. Yeah. yeah. Nice. All right, yeah. Ian, thank you very much. All Speak right. to you soon. Okay. Have a good Cheerio. one. Thanks, Mark. Bye.